The following sermon is by Dan Thomas, pastor and teacher at Community Church in Edwardsburg, Michigan. If you've never visited us at Community Church, we invite you to join us at 28647 US 12 West in Edwardsburg. And now, here is Pastor Dan Thomas. We are going to talk a lot about Jesus and the fact that he won't fail us today as we begin a three-week series called The Power of the Cross. I've had a burden on my heart to move uh, early this year into the book of 1 Corinthians. And uh, if you're familiar at all, it's a long book. Uh, it's like 16 chapters. And I thought, boy, if I, you know, I'm going creeping through that, we're going to be on that until summer. And I wasn't sure if that's where we ought to go. Uh, and actually, as I, as I dug into that, really felt like what we're going to do here is during the month of January, I'll tell you some more about February in a few minutes, uh, but during the month of January, we are going to look at the power of the cross and just look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Now, I'll show you, by the way, as we talk about the cross, we're weird. I mean, just, I mean, think about this for a second. The symbol that we cling to, the thing that we love, uh, some people have tattoos. Some people have, uh, I saw a football player, you know, he has a little cross right here you know, on his face. Uh, and, this, you know, we hang it around our neck. We have this symbol uh, for our faith that is actually an instrument of cruel torture and death. That's a little weird. I mean, if you sit down beside somebody and they have an electric chair, you know, tattooed on their arm, you know, kids, uh, slide, slide a little closer, kids, or, you know, or a guillotine. Hey, that'd be nice. Uh, but, uh, but we look to this cross. Now, look at this. We're going to read through the first 17 verses of Corinthians 1. But I actually wanted to show you this at the beginning. Apostle Paul said, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. But look at this phrase, not with words of eloquent wisdom, Lest, listen, look at this, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of his power. That's an amazing statement there. The cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Well, what in the world could lead to that? You know, I thought about being a little theatrical this morning, uh, and I was going to use Barry's little stool and climb up there and take, uh, take the curtains that are behind the cross and cover it up. When that, that, that would almost just be offensive, wouldn't it? Be like, what's he doing? Uh, hopefully we'd find that some, somewhat offensive, but that's what Paul says here. Uh, it says it'd be emptied of its power. Some translations use the word void. Some use the word obscured. They we're going to obscure the cross in that. That's amazing there to think about that idea that that could happen. So we better look at it here. We better uh, take a good look at the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and figure out how we can do that, how that could happen. Need a little background. Nothing says uh, Adam's wanting a school day today, but I mean a snow day today, but no, you get school instead. I got to give a little history. Okay, I got to give a little history. Look at your faces light up when I say that. All right, history. Uh, my favorite class ever. Uh, but we do need to know that in writing this letter, the, the town of Corinth, we need to know a little bit about it. Okay, it was located on this little strip. I don't know why I'm holding my hand up like this, but a little strip of land uh, that was between the, uh, the north part of Greece and the south part of Greece. Some of you are familiar with the geography of that a little bit, but this little strip of land that connects two large pieces of land, ready for geography, is called an... I fear you know, it's called an isthmus. That's right. It's real hard to say. Uh, they used to have parties and they'd call them isthmus part. No, I'm just kidding. But they did have their, <laughs> really bad joke, I know. But they did have uh, in this town, because it was only like a three and a half mile wide strip, they had two ports. 
So this town, if you want to have something to compare it to, it's kind of like a combination of Los Angeles and New York because you had both sides were like, you know, these big coastal cities, these metropolitan areas. And I chose the word wild. I could have put wealthy because it was a very wealthy city. I could have put wicked because it was a very wicked city. They had a temple there in Corinth to the goddess Aphrodite, and they had a hundred priestesses there in, uh, at the temple of Aphrodite. And uh, we have some of the kids in here today, so I won't go into detail as to what those priestesses actually were, but not really priestesses. Uh, and uh, so, the, you know, there was a great deal of uh, corruption there in this city. It was a, it was a very a corrupt place. But Paul had ministered there for 18 months. Uh, some of you might remember the names from the Bible, Aquila and Priscilla. Those have never caught on. I don't know any. Well, Priscilla, but I, I don't know any Aquilas. Somebody thinking about that? Uh, if you have a kid, Aquila, uh, uh, it's the boy's name. But, um, but anyway, uh, they were tent makers, and Paul was a tent maker, and he ministered with them for a while, but they was there about 18 months there in the city. I wrote a lengthy letter, 16 chapters, and when you look at it, most of it is confrontational in that he had to address problems in the church. Okay, there were morality problems. There were lawsuits. They weren't getting along with each other. There were doctrinal problems. First Corinthians chapter 15 is a beautiful chapter on the resurrection because they were getting messed up on the belief about the resurrection. So he was writing to them about that. But they had all types of problems, one of which is addressed in chapter one, and that is they were fighting. They had division there among them. So we'll look at that a little bit today, and we'll see how the cross is the answer to that division. But then I wrote here the central figure. Uh, so as we look at the book, and Paul is saying, you got a lot of problems here. Watch how he starts. Okay, you ready? This is how he, he's got all, this church has all types of issues here. They're in a very wicked town. Uh, they got a lot of problems going on within the church. And watch how he starts. We'll look where he draws their attention. We're going to read through the first 10 verses to start with. Paul called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. And our brother Sosthenes, uh, to the church of God, which, by the way, Sosthenes had ministered with him some in Corinth. Now he's with him in Ephesus while he writes this letter. To the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together. Again, that's the word, a saint. Uh, in our, we become saints in Jesus Christ, not when somebody says, hey, we're going to give you sainthood. But we are called saints uh, as those who are the children of God that are the blood washed, those that are forgiven and have a relationship with Jesus. Jesus Christ, with all those in every place called upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, both their Lord and ours. Okay, wait a minute. Are you seeing a little pattern here? I thought I'd help you with a little coloration. Okay, so far in the first few verses, what's he say three times? Christ Jesus, Christ Jesus, Christ Jesus the Lord. Let's continue. Grace to you and peace. Paul's standard greeting, first you need grace, and that'll bring peace in your life from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. There it is again. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given to you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and in knowledge. God has poured out his gifts into you in spe uh, for speech and knowledge, even as the testimony about, there he is again, Christ was confirmed among you so that you are not lacking in any gift. As you wait for the revealing as the day when Jesus is coming, the Lord Jesus Christ is coming, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says that we will be presented to God guiltless. Isn't that incredible? 
incredible. But look what he, again, watch what he's doing here. He's talking to a church that has more problems than Comini. I mean, they got, a, they got a mess going on there. And what's he do? Time after time, he says, let me draw your attention right here. In the first 10 verses, 10 times, we have the Lord Jesus Christ. He continues, God is faithful by whom we are called into the fellowship of his son, Christ Jesus our Lord. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you so that you may be united in the same mind and the same judgment. Ten times in those first ver verses. That's why I say we have a central figure, Jesus Christ. He says, hey, here's what you need. You see, here's what happens. When Jesus is minimized, when Jesus is obscured, divisions will happen. Okay? Main point of the day. That's no, not really the main point, but I think this is one everybody will agree with. People are weird. Amen. Amen. Hey, hey, don't nudge your husband when you say that. Uh, that's just rude. Okay, but, but, but think about this. Our world has so much division in it, and most of it is very simply, most of it, not all of it, but a lot of it is that we simply disagree with other people. They're weird. Why? Because they disagree with me. And if you really think about it, that's what makes people weird and irritating. I have a couple of friends that uh, were formerly pastors, and they said, in fact, this is an exact quote, I love the preaching and the teaching. I love being in the Word of God, but I can't take the people. Okay? Now, that didn't mean he didn't have a heart for people. That didn't mean he didn't care about people. It was just he couldn't deal with the weirdness. People fighting about goofy things and everything like that, he couldn't deal with it. And churches many times get plagued with non-essential disagreements because we're right and everybody else is wrong. And a lot of times they're, again, they're about, things, they're about politics. Okay? They're about, yeah, they're about, I can say that four times. Uh, but they're about that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fight about that. I'm going to, you know, disagree with people about, there are essential things that will cause division uh, or cause us to disagree. But there are so many places where we have to understand that we think we're right and therefore other people are weird when they disagree with us. And we, we got to process through that. We got to allow for people to disagree with us somewhere along the line. Okay, now how are we going to do that? Well, primarily we're going to do that by having our focus on whom? On Jesus Christ. Okay, honestly, we're going to get mixed up in all these other things when we take our eyes off Jesus. When he is obscured, division will enter. Now, he goes on, I believe this is verse number 11, for it has been reported to me by Chloe's people. Just We, we don't even know for sure if Chloe is a uh, man or a woman, but uh, the family there, is, that there's quarreling among you. He says, okay, he's moved on to Ephesus. He says, I'm hearing there's a lot of fighting going on. Uh, what I mean is that each of you says this. Some of you say, I follow Paul. And some of you say, I follow Apollos. Or I follow Cephas, by the way, it was Peter. And some say, I follow Christ. Okay, now let's analyze this for a second and see what they're fighting about. Okay, uh, who was Paul? Paul was their founding pastor. Now, could you imagine a church where some people are like, well, that's not how the founding pastor did it. You know, uh, he did it th this way, and we like that better. He, you know, he's kind of, well, boy, I wish for the good old days when he was here and everything like that. Could you imagine a situation, but they're following him, and they're saying, uh, wait a minute, I'm, 
I'm following Paul. Now, Apollos, on the other hand, who is he? He was a longtime pastor. He was actually there longer than Paul. So this is a, by the way, I don't know if this is true or not. I, I needed to run through this. I don't think Beth's here today. Unless Pastor Matthews was here longer than me, I might be like the longest running pastor here. And that's scary. <laughs> Nobody's laughing or applauding. <laughs> well, that's just downright depressing. If the weather wasn't enough, now we found that out. Okay. Uh, but the, but the, uh, he's a long time. And folks, come on, you've been in a church sometime when, uh, if you have been around a church where it's like, well, that's not the way the other pastor did it. You know, it didn't really like, I don't really like that. I like the way he did it better. Uh, and, you know, that type of thing. But people get stuck on these things. Now let's throw Peter in there, Cephas. And uh, we'll call him the distant pastor. In my family, uh, my brother and sister and I always uh, said we always knew who mom's favorite was. It was whoever lived the furthest away. Okay, yeah, in the last year and a half of her life, she lived here. Uh, but uh, So I went down uh, on the list pretty fast. But, you know, if somebody is, is distant and you don't see everything about them all the time, all of a sudden they're wonderful. You know, at the end of uh, my mom's life, I heard how wonderful my brother was. He was just the greatest thing ever. Uh, not that I'm bitter, but uh, the, or, or have jealousy. But honestly, when somebody's far away, and sometimes we get like that, we have this vision of, I heard this guy preach online. Oh, wouldn't it be wonderful to be part of his church? I just want to tell you a story real quick. I have a good friend from town here, a uh, businessman. He followed a guy online that was a preacher uh, that was really a good preacher. He uh, decided, you know what, I got to be part of that guy's church. He moved <laughs> to a faraway state, and he actually got a job as one of the administrative, uh, not administrative, executive pastors of one of their campuses because he had a business degree and he could do that. He was there about nine months, uh, and then he came back and said, yeah, that wasn't all it's cracked up to be. Now, I'm not telling you that the guy that you like online is, is uh, you know, that you would hate him if you got there, but what I'm saying there is this, ain't nobody perfect. And sometimes the further away that they are, the more we think they're perfect. So we think, oh, man, if we could just have that. But anyway, some are saying, hey, I like the uh, founding pastor. No, no, no. I like the uh, guy who was here the longest. No, no. I like the guy who's not even here, but I listened to him. Uh, and I think he's a good pastor. But there is division. I I'm just kind of trying to show you that, you know, really, hey, something's missing here. What's missing? Jesus. Now, the last statement. It's kind of weird. Uh, not sure this is right. We're going to say... See, in the context of the story, it's saying, I follow Paul, I follow uh, Cephas, I follow Apollos, and then I follow Jesus. And all of it is kind of presented as negative. So you think, well, why is that negative? You know, well, I follow Jesus. Uh, and the suggestion that I want to give, and it is a suggestion, I'm not sure about this, but I, I think that there was somewhat even just a pride of some who are like, well, I don't follow those men. I follow Jesus. Aren't I wonderful? Because somewhere that statement, I follow Jesus, which seems like it'd be an awfully good thing, uh, and it is, was seen as a, a negative statement in there. So I wrote up there, non, that doesn't say demon, uh, that's non-denominational pride. <laughs> which we can be proud about anything. Well, I go to a non-denominational church, so I don't follow any of those things. I'm just saying we can find anything to fight about, okay? And many times we do, and that's exactly what was going on in this church. There was a lack of maturity. There was a lack of spiritual secure, uh, maturity. But let me point you again, even though we, we haven't read it again yet, let me point you to that statement at the end of verse number 17 where he says, the cross of Christ can be obscured. 
And if that's what we're doing, if we're fighting over a little thing, and I just ask you, you know, as much as you can to look and say, hey, if there is something, by the way, I'm talking from a church standpoint because of where we are and who, you know, what my job is, but look at this in your lives. Look at this in your, in your families. You know, are we fighting about things that, hey, they're, they're disagreements, but we have to, but, but they shouldn't be causing division in my life. You know, I shouldn't be hating these people because I disagree with them. Different strokes for different folks. And yes, people are weird, but they're weird because they disagree. Hey, let's, uh, I kind of debated this a little bit, but I think I'll, I'll go ahead. You know, even something like this, the weather, you know, some people are watching at home right now and saying, what are those morons doing out? <laughs> Honestly. And then some of you are like, why couldn't they come out? Uh, you know, like that. And honestly, we're, sometimes we just have to figure out, hey, people are going to see things differently. And we got we to gotta live with that if you can. People look at things differently. And, uh, and, you know, some of it is a background and a raise and everything, you know, the way they were raised to think and everything like that. So we need to be patient with other people. But when you get into following an individual, back to this, when you get into following an individual, you got problems. We'll call it the cult of personality. And I have mentioned before that I think we have very personality-driven churches today, but apparently that's not new. Apparently, this is something that is a part of mankind that we, they're always kind of, I follow so-and-so, and I follow so-and-so, and I follow so-and-so. And, uh, and uh, in the process of that, what has happened? The cross of Christ and the person of Jesus Christ has become obscured. So let's read on a, a little bit more. After Paul said, some of you are saying this, some of you are saying this, he asks a few questions here. He says, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? Hey, let's, uh, let's, let's look at those for a second, these three questions. Is Christ divided? The answer obviously is no. There's one Christ for all. And this power of the cross to unite is so crucial, but that is as we lean into him. And, that, you know, that's why I, I hope so much, and I'm, I'm going to keep on this for a while. Uh, I want us so much to learn that, hey, that's what we've come to do here today. That's what we've come to do. We've come to exalt him. We've come to glorify him. Uh, we've come to praise him as his children together, and that has to be our focus. And I want us, you know, very much to be able to enter into a time of worship and enter into a time around his word where that's, that's what we're doing. I need that. This morning, um, you know, I was, I was just kind of at discombobulated. They, they moved my football game because of the weather, and that, that upset me. Uh, but Sorry, I'm being silly and, and truthful at the same time. Uh, but, they, the, uh, but, you know, di different, I was a little discombobulated, and I pulled out here into the parking lot. And uh, I, I wanted to come in a little early, so the sun was just coming up. Sun, sun, sunrise was, was actually pretty awesome today, if, if, you, if you got to see it. It was pretty nice. And, you know, some of you didn't even know there was a sun because you, uh, you, you live in this area and you don't see it very often. But, uh, but I was watching it come up, you know, back in this direction here. I had to pull out into the middle of the parking lot to watch it and watch it come up. And I just sat there, and I sat there for about 15 minutes, and I just thought, Jesus, I, I just need to sit. I need to take some deep breaths. I need to trust in you. God, there's some things I need to hand over to you and I need to give to you because, you know, I'm kind of running uh, haphazard and cockeyed and everything like that. And Jesus, I just want to pause. And oh, I hope this time here can serve to help you do that.
I really do. I hope you can just you know, look to him and, and focus on, on him. There's one Christ, and he will unite us together if we'll do that. Look at that next question. Was Paul crucified for you? Man, how powerful that is. We'll come back to that for a second. Only Jesus Christ has those nail prints in his hands, folks. Only Jesus. And we come back to that. So how foolish it is for us to get wrapped up in following other people. Were you baptized in Paul's name? Quick, quick survey here. I, I was just kind of curious. How many of you were, have been baptized in a church, like in a tank like we have? Okay. Anybody in here been baptized outside? Okay. Oh, quite a few. Okay. I always wanted to do that. I knew you were. I was there. Uh, but but the, the, uh, that, that's, uh, I, I, I kind of like that. Do you know what difference that makes? Diddly. It doesn't matter where you were baptized. It doesn't matter who baptized you. You know what matters? You're baptized into Jesus Christ. That's the, that's the important thing there. And that's what Paul says. Okay, all these, all these little things we're hung up on. He can't, wait a minute, here's what's important. And then he goes on, and just to get us back to verse number 17, I thank God that I baptized none of you except for Crispus and Gaius, so that no one may say that they're baptized in my name. I did baptize also the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized anyone else. Can't even remember. But Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with words of eloquent wisdom, let the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Get a hold of that last phrase there, not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. I'm going to pick on Josh today. Hannah, I'm going to pick on you just a little bit on this too. Last week I was working on this sermon. I was talking to Pastor Josh, and he was talking about his preparation for last Sunday. And he was saying, you know, he, he had, I think he said something to his wife about, you know, my sermon needs a little pop. <laughs> my sermon needs a little something else, right? Uh, it needs a little excitement or something like that. And Hannah, in a loving way, I'm sure, and in a sweet uh, voice that uh, made him feel better, said, so the word of God isn't enough. <laughs> Am I quoting you pretty close? Uh, so just sharing God's truth isn't enough. You got you to gotta make it happen. But, man, that is, that is so true. That is so true. I mean, we, we, you know, no, man, we got to have a circus act to, to entertain everybody, stuff like that. Uh, and, and a lot of times that's what we're caught up in is the way that something is presented, you know, the person that is presenting it. And the apostle Paul says, you know, if we do that, look at that phrase, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. If we're focusing on that, on the presentation and, uh, and everything like that, the eloquent words and, the, you know, this person, kind of, he says, I, I'm not, I don't want to do that. I don't want to be like that. And by the way, I don't think the apostle Paul would have been what we would consider to be a great speaker. I think he was... You know, like it, uh, you know, just reading the sermon, if you will, uh, that idea. And I know, you know, we, again, our culture is so, you know, distracted by things and everything like that, that'd be hard to take. But what he says is, hey, the important thing is that the gospel Christ is being preached. It's not who says it or the way it is said or anything like that. This is what important. Now, I want to close with a couple of conclusions that that we're really we need to make sure we get a hold of here in the, through this whole text. You cannot be Christ to others. <laughs> and you can't, main, main point, let's mess it up. Uh, you feel better, Adam? I, I didn't even notice that you were playing on. Okay, 
I I had them change that so Adam would feel better. Uh, I didn't even notice he was off on anything. Okay, you cannot be Christ, and and others cannot be Christ for you. Okay. <laughs> go go back to that power of the cross slide from the beginning. Well, um, but despite my incompetence here, if you would uh, think about those phrases for a second, okay. I cannot be Christ to others. Folks, don't miss that. Please do not miss that. That means everybody. You cannot be Christ even for your kids. Okay, you want to. You cannot be Christ for that friend that you're brokenhearted for. You cannot be Jesus for them. What we want to do is point them to Christ and help them to know Christ better, but you cannot be Christ for them. There's a great heartache any uh, anybody who tries to minister and help somebody else, whether that's from a parenting standpoint, a pastoring standpoint, a boss standpoint, of watching people walk away. And sometimes it's so burdensome and you think, boy, I must have failed them somewhere. But we need to remember, I cannot be Christ for other people. Okay, somewhere they are going to have to know him on their own. And I put a ridiculous burden upon myself when I think that I can. I want to uh, love my wife. I want to even shepherd her in a lot of ways towards her relationship to Christ. But I cannot be Jesus Christ for her. She cannot be Jesus Christ for me. And when we try to do that, we got a problem. Others cannot be Jesus Christ for me either. I cannot be for others. Others cannot be for me. I cannot um, put my faith and trust in other people to be a Christ. Listen, I, I try to say this over and over again because ultimately this happens, and I watch this happen over and over again. People will disappoint you. No matter how wonderful they might seem to be, they are going to disappoint you. They cannot be Christ for you. Maybe they'll disappoint you because they run out of energy and they can't be there for you at, at some time. Have you ever seen a situation where somebody uh, becomes dependent on, let's say, uh, uh, speaking very candidly for a second, I've seen this a number of times, where somebody will rely on a church, they'll say, I need some help with this, and the church is there. Uh, and they say, yeah, we're, yeah, we can pay that bill for you. We can help you. We can do this stuff like that. And the church is there. And I've seen sometimes where churches have helped people for years, I would say even over a decade in some places. And the, but there's going to come a time when somewhere that church disappoints them. And I watch it as soon as they do, they're disappointed. Why? Because we expect people and organizations sometimes to fill a role that only Jesus can fill. Okay. He is, is the one. Listen, listen to this statement. And, and honestly, I think this statement, um, I, I don't even know where, where I, who said it, but uh, I think this statement is worth the price of a mission uh, today if you get this. The pain of life poisons the confidence that we are loved. Can I say that again? The pain of life poisons the confidence that God loves us. It does. Okay? When life gets hard, sometimes, God, where, where are you? God, what's, what's going on? I, I don't understand this. But the second part of that is this. There's only one unshakable assurance of God's love. There it is. The cross of Jesus Christ. I've told you, I think what has become my favorite verse is in Romans chapter 8. And it says that how can we not trust this one who has already given a son? his son. He has met my greatest needs. He has met that. And the one rock that I have, the one proof that I have in this war, 
Going back to my C.S. Lewis quote, in this war that we, that we face right now, in the, the disease and the death and the heartaches of this life, everything like that, those things will attack my confidence in the love of God. I must come back to the cross of Jesus Christ. I must come back to focusing on the God who sent his son to die on the cross in my place and pay the price for my sin. I must come back to that. I must cling to that to find strength there. And like I said, if you take nothing else away, take that truth. Yes, indeed, the pains of this life are going to attack. They're going to poison our minds with the idea of the enemy that God does not love us. Keep looking there, folks. Keep looking to the cross of Jesus Christ. Keep looking to the God who so loved this world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Our Father, um, yeah, I, <laughs> I want to stand and just point at the cross. I, I, I know that's what I want my life to be. And I, and I, God, I want people to leave here knowing how good you are knowing how great you are, knowing how perfect you are. And, Father, I'm trying to communicate eternal, awesome truths, and, uh, and I always feel like I come up short. So, God, I pray for the ministry of your Spirit to teach us these truths in, a, in an awesome way. May we leave here knowing these things better. Would you do that in our lives? In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to Pastor Dan Thomas of Community Church in Edwardsburg. For more information about the church, you can visit our website, edwardsburg.church. You may also contact the church via email, info at edwardsburg.church, or call us at 269-663-2648. Thank you for listening.